Psalm, uh, Psalm 51. Uh, I'll be reading the first half and just continuing for the rest of the psalm. For the choir director, a Davidic psalm, when Nathan the prophet came to him after he had gone to Bathsheba. Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion. Blot out my rebellion. Wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. For I'm conscious of my rebellion and my sin is always before me. Against you, you alone, I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. So you are righteous when you pass sentence. You are blameless when you judge. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. Surely you desire integrity in the inner self, and you teach me wisdom deep within. Purify me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Turn your face away from my sins and blot out all my guilt. God, create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore the joy of your salvation to me and give me a willing spirit. Then I will teach the rebellious your ways and the sinners will return to you. Save me from the guilt of bloodshed, God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not want a sacrifice or I would give it. You are not pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. God, you will not despise a broken and humbled heart. In your good pleasure, cause Zion to prosper. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. G'day again, everyone. Now, if you didn't uh, get a Bible before, uh, it'd be great if you got one now, if you don't have access to one, because I'm going to be asking you to read it out loud later on all of us so you need to be able to see the bible so uh if you want to put up your hand now if you need a bible uh and kevin will get one to you but if everyone's got a bible everyone can see a bible that's great now i'll pray our heavenly father we do thank you for the wonderful gift to us the book of psalms is we thank you for the way uh these psalms have been looking at over recent weeks teach us so much about who you are uh, and more than that about who we are and how we should relate to you as we look at psalm 51 tonight we thank you for david's honesty about his own sinfulness uh, and we pray that you might teach us through this psalm to recognize our own sin and then to fall on your mercy and seek your forgiveness and so we pray tonight that we'll be challenged that we'll be encouraged but most of all will be pointed once again to the wonderful mercy you show us in Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen. So uh, I haven't been here for the last couple of weeks. I was away on holidays, which was great. So hopefully, God willing, unless people did what I, well, they weren't meant to while I was away, uh, we have been looking at Psalms that flow out of David's life. 
in 2 Samuel. So if you were with us last year, we looked at the book of 2 Samuel, story of David's life. Uh, and uh, what we've done over the last few weeks is looked at Psalms that came from different moments in his life. Uh, and this Psalm today, David wrote after, I think, sort of indisputably, the worst moment in his life, uh, the lowest point in his life. Uh, and we know when it was written because of the title of the psalm. So look at, your, look at Psalm 51 there. Normally, if you're someone who reads the Bible at the front of church, uh, don't read the title out because the title is not part of the Word of God. It's just put there by the English translator because they're telling you what they think it's about. So they think this is a prayer for restoration. That title, irrelevant, don't worry about it. Could be right, could be wrong, who cares? But in the Psalms is the one place where the titles are actually part of the Bible. And the people that came up with the verse numbers over a thousand years ago forgot to put them in as verses. And so you've got to think of it as sort of like Psalm 51 verse 0 tells us what this psalm's about. So look there, and Naomi read it out for us. For the choir director, a Davidic psalm, that means it was written by David, when Nathan the prophet came to him after he had gone to Bathsheba. And straight away, if you know your Bible, or if you were with us in term four last year when we looked at 2 Samuel, straight away we remember that story back in 2 Samuel 11 and 2 Samuel 12, and that's what this is all about. So just to remind you about what happened, Israel was at war, which is quite a common event in the history of Israel. And King David was there, and one of the only jobs the king had was to do what? Lead the armies of Israel out into battle. That was his job. But on this occasion, what did David do? He said, all you guys go and fight for me. I'm going to stay back here in the palace and watch Netflix or whatever it is they did at those times. And David had his feet up. And then one night, he goes out onto the roof of the palace. In that part of the world, buildings had flat roofs and you went up there in the cool of the evening to to sort of have the, the breeze blow over you. He went up on the flat top of his roof, looked out over his city and what did he see? He saw a lady bathing on another roof. Now, what would a man of righteousness, what should a man of righteousness do at that point? He should turn around and go downstairs, shouldn't he? And say, there you go, it's unfortunate I saw that, but that's the end of it. David didn't do that, he kept looking. And he thought, hang on, that woman is unusually beautiful. And then, again, he kept going. And he sent his people to bring the woman to him. It's one of the things when you're the king, you have people to do this sort of thing for you. And he sent his people and they brought her back and he found out that her name was Bathsheba. But he also found out she was married. And again, that should have been the end of it. But David kept going. Even worse, he found out she was married to one of his most loyal servants. She was married to Uriah. And Uriah wasn't an ordinary soldier of David's. Uriah was one of David's mighty men. He was one of the 37 particular soldiers who had given their lives to the service of David. And so here, Uriah is off fighting for David in his war. And what does David do with his wife? The Bible's very short about it, but it's very clear. It says he slept with her. And at this point... You think, oh no, David, the great King David, the man after God's own heart, is an adulterer. But that's not all. You see, David's sin caught up with him. Because that's what sin does. See, the thing is, when we sin, we then lie about it. 
And then to not get caught out in the lie, we lie some more and sin just keeps going like that. That's the way sin works. And it happened here because Bathsheba sends word to David and says, I'm pregnant. We're having a baby. Now this meant trouble. Her husband Uriah was off at the war. He couldn't be the father. So David was in a bit of a pickle. But David was smart. He thinks, well, I'll have her husband Uriah called back from the front and I'll tell him, go and spend some time with your wife and then he can lie with his beautiful wife and no one will be any the wiser if the baby comes a couple of months early. Well, that happens sometimes. But David didn't count on the godliness and the loyalty of this fellow Uriah. Do you remember what happened? David calls him into the palace and says, you go sleep with your wife. And Uriah says, how could I go and sleep in a bed and lay with my wife when my comrades in arms are on the battlefield. I won't do it. And so Uriah bunks down on the steps of the temple at the front door of David's house. You can imagine David pacing around upstairs going, God, the guy just won't go. He's there at my front door and he won't go and do what I need him to do. And you can't have, the Bible doesn't even tell you to do it, but you just naturally say, David, man after God's own heart, unfaithful compared to Uriah unknown soldier faithful and you can't help but compare the two men and you can't help but see which one comes out on top so David has to come up with another plan he sends Uriah back to the front with a letter to the general and Uriah doesn't know what's in the letter but the letter is his death warrant because it says to the general what I want you to do is I want you to put Uriah in the front row of the fighting go forward into the opposing armies and then order everyone else to come back and leave him there and it works Uriah dies David sends for Bathsheba she becomes his wife they have a baby comes a couple of months early but that sort of thing happens the thing is we know and God knows that David was an adulterer and more than that he was also a murderer but the thing is David knew it as well So when the prophet Nathan comes and confronts David and calls him out on his sin and points it out to him and calls for repentance, David is overcome with guilt and remorse and he prays a prayer repenting of his sin to God and confessing his sin to God and seeking his forgiveness. And we have that prayer. That's what Psalm 51 is. But the thing about this prayer is, that I hope you'll see tonight, is it isn't just David's prayer. I mean, David was the particular sinner at this point that he's talking about, and it's in the Bible because it happened to David. But as you read the psalm, you are meant to say, this is me as well. David might have written this, but this is about me as well. The psalm teaches us about our need for forgiveness. That's why it's here. And hopefully, after we've finished looking at it together, you'll want to make it your prayer as well. I'm going to invite everyone to pray it together at the end of tonight. Uh, so that you might make it your prayer so let's look at psalm 51 open it up there here's david he's committed these awful sins he's overcome with guilt and david knows there's nothing he can do to make it right he can't bring uriah back from the dead he can't undo his adultery so all he can do is fall on god's mercy and seek god's forgiveness so verse one summarizes the whole psalm it says be gracious to me god According to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion, blot out my rebellion. Be gracious to me, O God. The first thing we see about David 
is that he recognises that he is at fault. He is sinful. David doesn't hide from it. David doesn't deny it. He doesn't try to point out to God all his good points. It's amazing how often when we're confronted with our sin, we we do one of two things. We either rationalise it and, and say why it's acceptable for us, even if not for other people. It's amazing how often we do that, in particular with sexual sin, like David. So you can imagine David trying to rationalise it to God. But God, you gave me this awful job of being king of Israel. Do you know how hopeless these people are? You don't understand the pressure I'm under? Can't you see why I've done this? It's because of the pressure you put on me. That's, that's often our reaction. We rationalise our sin. Or the other thing we do is we try and say, but God, do you remember all the good things I've done? David could say, remember how I've led your armies on other occasions? Remember how I've saved your people? Remember how I've written all these wonderful prayers to you here in the Psalms? David doesn't do any of that. He doesn't try and say, God, forgive me because I've been good. He just says, be gracious to me, O God. David recognises that he is sinful. He feels unclean. Look at verse 2. He says, wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. It's like he has this awful stain on him that he can't wash off. Like that sauce stain, you know, on the white shirt from when you came to the sausage sizzle at church and you put too much tomato sauce on, you know. Why is it whenever we have a sausage sizzle and I'm going to preach, I get tomato sauce down the front? I don't know why that is. Or it's like that white t-shirt you wore to the beach and you put sunscreen on and now you can't get the yellow ring around the top. Some of you are wearing them tonight, I can see. No, I'm only joking. But it's like that, you can't get the stain out. You've just got to throw it away. No matter how much you scrub it or soak it, it won't come off. For David, that is his heart. He says, my heart is stained by sin and he cannot forget what he's done. He can't scrub it clean and he cannot find peace in his heart. But for David, it's not just this act of adultery and murder that troubles him. That's what leads to him writing this psalm, but that's not all he confesses to God. David says, actually, I have to confess that my whole life is marred by sin. Everything I do has had sinful motives to some degree. See, have a look at verse 5. He says, indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. Some people say, well, how can that be? Haven't you seen little babies? They're cute and they're innocent. And they're sort of cute and innocent, but if you've hung out with little children for any length of time, you don't need convincing of what what we call the doctrine of original sin. You see, if you spend time at any play care, play centre or anywhere like that, you'll know children are sinful from birth. It is a reality of the human condition after the fall. So this isn't just exaggeration. David's not just saying, oh, woe is me, I'm the worst of sinner. Even as a baby, I was a sinner. He's saying that is the human condition. We are born into sin. See, David knows that the sinful acts he has done this adultery, this murder, or maybe the lies, maybe the gossip, maybe the greed, whatever it is we've done, they are like the spots on the skin that show you you have the disease in your heart. And the disease in our heart is the disease of sin. The fact that from the very beginning we turn our backs on our Lord, our God, our Creator, and we live in conscious rebellion against Him. And the sad thing is none of us are any better or any worse than David in this regard you might say well well, hang on I'm I'm not committed adultery I'm not a murderer 
From next week, we're looking at the Sermon on the Mount. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, you might not have murdered anyone, but have you hated people in your heart? If you have, you're guilty of murder. He says, you might not have committed adultery, but have you looked lustfully at someone? Well, if you have, you're guilty of adultery. And Jesus is talking to people at that point, the type of person who says, I'm better than David. I'm not a sinner like him. And Jesus says, yes, you are. Every person is a sinner. David's condition is our condition. And if you don't believe that of yourself, you are deluded. Because it is the human condition. We are sinners. But the first step of becoming a Christian... The first step of actually finding God is recognising that about ourselves. Is recognising, I am a sinner. A Christian person isn't someone who is religious. A Christian person isn't someone who thinks, I'm better than other people, those sinners over there. Every Christian says, I am a sinner. The Apostle Paul says, I am the worst of sinners. A Christian person is like David, they recognise their sin but then they turn to God and seek his forgiveness. And that's why recognising sin is not the end of the story. The, the, the psalm doesn't end at verse 6, wanting everyone to feel guilty and say, yeah, I'm a sinner and I'm guilty. David says, God, forgive me, wash away all this guilt and all this sin. Look at verse 7. He says, purify me with hyssop and I'll be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. And then verse 9, turn your face away from my sins and blot out all my guilt this is so important because it's the most common misunderstanding of christianity and it has been for two thousand years david does not recognize his sin and then try to make it up to god do you see that david knows he can't make it up to god he can't undo this murder this adultery he can't do so many good things that that will outweigh all the bad things because god doesn't work that way and sin doesn't work that way in and of ourselves we cannot please god because we are stained to our core so david says god it's not about me you need to act god you need to do this for me and he asked God to sort of take the soap and the scrubbing brush and scrub his heart clean, to forgive him. David asked God, have mercy on me, forgive me for my sin. And it is exactly the same for us. We cannot do anything to deal with our sin, but we can ask God to forgive us. And the thing is, David asked in hope. One of the things you see as you read the Psalm of David is the lack of certainty in his asking. See, he hoped God would wash him clean. He was begging God to do it. But if you know Jesus, you know that you have been washed clean already. Jesus has done everything that needs to be done for you to be forgiven. When he died on the cross 2,000 years ago, he took the punishment you deserved and I deserved and every person deserved for all the sin of all humanity for all of time. Jesus took it upon himself. Jesus has died for you. His blood has washed you clean. And God promises that anyone who turns to him and trusts in him has been washed clean and forgiven. And for every person... From David through to you and me, that is what we need more than anything else. God's forgiveness 
through Jesus. So I just want to pause at that point. And I want to say to you, you might have been coming along to church for a long time. You might be here for the first time tonight. I want to ask you, do you actually know God's forgiveness? Have you actually accepted and received God's forgiveness? What better way to start the year than to actually be washed clean by God? Be forgiven. So that you will not stand under God's judgment when you die or when Jesus returns, but instead God will welcome you into his heaven, into his new creation. I want to say to you, if you've never actually done that, if you've never had the opportunity, or if you've sort of been putting on a veneer of religion for these people around you, if you've never actually personally said, I am a sinner, God, I confess it to you, please forgive me. Can I ask you to do it tonight? And at the end, when we pray this psalm together, I want to invite you to pray it yourself to do just that. But if you do it, tell someone. Not every, You don't have to come up the front here and tell all 120 people. But come and tell me or come and tell a friend. Tell someone, I have been washed clean by God tonight. But even at this point, David can see a problem. It's what I call the washing the dog problem. Our dog is theoretically white. Uh, and white is a terrible colour for dogs. Uh, I've suggested to the girls getting her reupholstered, but they're not, they're not keen on that idea. Uh, but when Gypsy has a bath, which is very rare, uh, she is totally clean. Absolutely clean. And you say, there's a white dog in our house. Where did it come from? And that lasts for about three seconds. Because she's all wet, you have to let her outside. And what does she do? She goes and finds one of the many dirt patches in my backyard, because I'm not a very good gardener, and she rubs herself in it. If she can possibly find something she's left there earlier, she'll rub herself in that as well. And then suddenly we have a brown dog again. That is the human condition. Like a dog returns to its vomit, Proverbs says in the Old Testament. And David doesn't want to be like that. David doesn't want to be washed clean by God just to go and jump back in the mud again. Just jump back into the sin. He might not commit adultery again, though knowing David it's a chance. He might not commit murder again, but he knows his heart would still be sinful. He would want to lie, he would want to deceive, he would have those lustful thoughts. And so David says, the problem is inside me, just like it's inside each of us. And so he doesn't just ask God for forgiveness. David asks God to change him. He asks God to get rid of his old sinful heart and give him a new one. Have a look from verse 10. David says, God, create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore the joy of your salvation to me. And give me a willing spirit. See, David knows that he needs a heart transplant. He needs God to tear out his old sinful heart, his old sinful motives, his old sinful self, and give him a new heart. And then he'll be able to live, to live for God. Then he'll be able to please God. And again, it's the same for us. We are forgiven and washed clean by Jesus but also, when you become a Christian, Jesus sends his Holy Spirit into you. It's the most wonderful gift. God, through his Son, puts his Holy Spirit inside you. And the Holy Spirit helps us, works in us, changes us to be more like Jesus. The Holy Spirit helps us get rid of 
those things from our old self, that malice, that deceit, that hatred, that envy, all those things that are part of our sinful nature, and he produces good fruit in us. What the New Testament calls the fruit of the Spirit, things like love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness and gentleness and patience and self-control. So like David, the Christian person recognises their need for forgiveness, asks God for forgiveness, but also asks God to change them. But again, we are so much better off than David ever was. David hoped God would sustain him. David had to beg God, please do not take your Holy Spirit away from me. We have a certain hope. If you're a Christian, you will never lose the Spirit of God. The New Testament says in Ephesians 1, when we believe in Jesus, we are marked with a seal, God's promised Holy Spirit. And he calls that a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. The Holy Spirit is God's deposit on you. If God has put his Holy Spirit in you, then he says, that is mine. No one else can have him. No one else can have her. They are mine. It's like when you drive around the street and you see the for sale sign on a house and that means that house is up for grabs, but some of them have the big sticker across saying, deposit taken. And that's saying, someone's already got that one. Well, the Holy Spirit is God's sticker on you, saying, that person is mine. And if you're a Christian, you can be certain of your salvation. Because God has done it all in Jesus and has given you that deposit. So we've seen that David has first of all recognised his need. Second of all, he's asked for God's forgiveness. And thirdly, he's asked God to change him. And now finally, we see David's response to God's forgiveness. Have a look from verse 13. He says, then, once you have forgiven me, God, then I will teach the rebellious your ways and sinners will return to you. Save me from the guilt of bloodshed, God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. This is the constant theme of the Bible. If a person knows the forgiveness of God, they will declare it with their lips. There's no, they might, they will. David knows if you have been forgiven... The response is to praise God with your lips, to declare how wonderful he is and his forgiveness is to anyone who will listen. Our modern day advertisers know how this works. You know how many ads are satisfied customers? Except you know, because we're cynical and we live in the age of advertising, that generally they're not really satisfied customers, they've been paid to be there. So when the really thin man stands there turning his chops on the George Foreman health grill, you go, there's a satisfied customer, I want a George Foreman health grill. I have a George Foreman health grill. Doesn't make you thin. But, but you, that's how advertising works, isn't it? Satisfied customer sells the product. Well, if you know the forgiveness of God, you are his satisfied customer. And so David says, you will declare the praises of God. You will seek to bring other sinners to know that forgiveness you have found. That is actually the heart of our calling to evangelism. You know when we talk about how as a church, we're on about proclaiming Jesus. Well, we proclaim Jesus because we know how good he is. That's why we do it. And the opposite is true as well. When we are reluctant to tell others, it suggests maybe we don't really believe. 
just how good Jesus is. Because how could you keep it to yourself? We are God's satisfied customers and our excitement should bubble out of us as we tell others how good he is. Verses 16 and 17 just capture the essence of David's response. Look with me. David says, God, you don't want a sacrifice or I would give it. You are not pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. God, you will not despise a broken and humbled heart. This is so important. The response God wants from us is not ostentatious displays of religion. God doesn't say, what I want you to do is come and do this, this and this, and that'll impress me. There's that guy who goes past every Sunday night. God does not want you to put on a show for people and be a Pharisee. That's not the response. What does God want from you? He wants a broken spirit. That means he wants you to say, I am a sinner. I don't deserve anything from God. But how wonderful is it that he sent his son to die for me? The sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit, a broken and humbled heart. Christian people, by definition, are not proud. Christian people are broken, aware of our sin, yet rejoicing and more joyful than anyone on this earth because we know God's forgiveness. As we close tonight, I want you to take out Psalm 51 now and I want us to make this prayer our own. And uh, you might do that in a number of ways. Uh, If you are a Christian, maybe there are sins in your life that you have not confessed to God. Maybe there are sins in your life that you are hiding from God and other people, you haven't confessed them. I want you to take the opportunity as we pray Psalm 51 to confess your sinfulness to God and thank him for his mercy and his forgiveness. Maybe if you're a Christian, you have lost that excitement and that joy. And it doesn't bubble out of you like it did out of David. You've sort of grown removed from how wonderful it is that your sin has been forgiven. Maybe you can't remember the last time you actually prayed in the quietness of your own heart. Well, now is as good a time as any to ask God to restore unto you the joy of your salvation and to give you a willing spirit. But in particular, maybe you have never known that joy. Maybe you've never thought really you're a sinner. Maybe you've thought you're good enough for God. Well, I hope you don't think that now. Maybe you're someone who has never actually asked God for his forgiveness. You might have been coming to church for years. You might have been coming to church for a week. I want to say to you, tonight is the night to say to God, be gracious to me. Cleanse me from my sin. Is there any better time to do that than right now? So what we're going to do is I want each of us to think about this prayer of David's, to think about our own lives and our own hearts and pray it in whichever of those ways is appropriate to you. And if you'd like to make this your prayer, then please read it out loud with me as we read it together. We're going to read just verses 1 to 13 as a prayer to God. So let's do it. Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion. Blot out my rebellion. Wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. For I am conscious of my rebellion and my sin is always before me. Against you, you alone, I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. So you are right when you pass sentence. You are blameless when you judge. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. 
I was sinful when my mother conceived me. Surely you desire integrity in the inner self, and you teach me wisdom deep within. Purify me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Turn your face away from my sins and blot out all my guilt. God, create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore the joy of your salvation to me and give me a willing spirit. Then I will teach the rebellious your ways and sinners will return to you. Amen.